I'm Scott Farber and I am at an Airbnb. So this is the best it's going to look while I'm sitting here. That good looking guy, of course, former New York Giant, former NFL Players Association president, and my good buddy, Larry Mallory, chilling at home in a suit and tie. <laughs> came dressed for you. And happy to be to back on the podcast. Huh? <laughs> happy to be back on the podcast with you. Well, there you go. Well, <laughs> well, Larry, I want to talk about quarterbacks with you today. There is so much going on in the NFL this year. This season really seems to be un unlike any other. There is no clear team that we expect just to go in and waltz through the Super Bowl. There's a lot of teams out there. And then they're getting knocked off as the year seems to be going on. But let me ask you, Mac Jones playing for New England. They're six and four. Is Mac Jones this good? Or is it because of the system that's making him this good? Would he be this good if he was playing for the Jets? What's your thoughts on that? Because I got a, a bunch of these quarterbacks to ask you about. Well, you know, I have to smile on that question because uh, you know how far I go back in football, back in the 70s. And back in the 70s, Bill Belichick was my first coach. So you know that I'm probably going to lean toward, not only because of Bill Belichick, but because of the, the history of the Patriots. Uh, I think that the reason that Mac Jones is doing so well is because he's, in, he's with a coach that insist upon understanding the system. They make adjustments to each team that they play. And honestly, I've always felt that Bill Belichick was one of the best football minds in the history of the NFL. Well, let me, let me ask you too now, and, and I tend to agree with you. Trevor Lawrence playing on the two and seven Jaguars. Trevor, I don't think he ever lost a game in high school or college. You know, maybe <laughs> right. one in college or something. But, but Trevor... Two and seven. That's not going to cut it. Um, Justin Fields with the uh, Bears, three and six. That's not going to cut it. Will these teams be able to develop around them, or is the system just not going to help these guys? Will this damage their careers? Do they need to be playing in a different system? Well, you know, that, that's a great question uh, because. I think that now in the National Football League, the systems are really, really important. And I think they're important because the athletes are so versatile now. In our day, you know, you could be big and strong and play in the NFL. But nowadays, you have to be big and strong and quick and fast and agile and on and on and on. And I think that the quality – and I'm not, I'm not demeaning old athletes like me at all. But the, the quality of, of athletes now in the National Football League, I think, is, is not only at its highest, but continually rising. You have six, four defensive backs and, you know, 340 and 50-pound uh, linemen that can run four nines. You know, one, one of the things that I, I believe is that the, the degree of talent in the NFL is somewhat uh, it, it's it's higher now. You know, you get faster guys and bigger guys. But I think that coaches like Bill Belichick, honestly, uh, can take whatever type of talent they have and they can align the strategy to the talent. And I think that that's why he's been so successful 
over his career. Um, you know, obviously to, ha- obviously to have a Tom Brady or somebody like that around, it's been great. But I think the fact that he can align his talent to his strategy is, uh, has kept him at a higher level in terms of coaching. All right. So you, you mentioned Tom Brady. So let me ask you, if Tom Brady was on the Chicago Bears, who haven't had a quarterback uh, since 1812, um, <laughs> would Tom Brady have been this great quarterback if he was on the Chicago Bears? Or was it because he had to be in the right system? I think you, I think the latter is right on the number, Scott. He had to be in the right system. See, because, you know, and that's why I, I've got my notes here, and I know it's hard doing this from the Airbnb. <laughs> but Steve Young fouled Joe Montana. Montana, of course, in the Hall of Fame. Steve Young went into all the Hall of yeah. Fame. He just picked up where Montana left off. Yeah. Uh, people today, the younger guys, obviously know Aaron Rodgers. He followed Brett Favre. Yeah. You know, same thing. Green Bay didn't miss a beat. Now they're talking about when luck takes over, are they going to miss a beat? You, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I feel that those guys were talented and the system was able to accept them and they were able to do what was asked of them. And they went on to Hall of Fame careers, Young and, uh, and uh, um, Aaron Rodgers. Then there's a guy, I need your opinion on Baker Mayfield. Was he never going to be a great quarterback? Or is it the fact that this, well, now, you know, this year you got to give him a little bit of a pass because I think he's completely broken. You know, his shoulder, his knee, you know, and everything. Yeah. But Baker is playing at Cleveland. I think they fall in the category of the Chicago Bears. They haven't had a quarterback in in a generation. So my question is, is Baker Mayfield, would he have been better somewhere else? Say like Kansas City, because Baker and Patrick Mahomes played together neck and neck in college all the time. And they both shined, but Mahomes seems to be having a better career in the NFL. So tell me about Baker and Mahomes. Is it system or is it just pure talent? Well, I tell you, um, I was not a fan of Baker Mayfield. Uh, Actually, I I felt that, um, you know, he's a local guy, you know, he's a Texas guy, whatever, but I, in the beginning, I was not a fan, but now I, I've been converted as it relates to Baker Mayfield because I've had the opportunity of seeing some of the things that he's doing in the huddle, seeing some of the things that some of the other players are saying about him in the locker room, and seeing his performance. He's really performed uh, a lot better than I expected in the long run. So uh, I don't really put Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes in the same bucket. Uh, The other day, Patrick Mahomes rolled out right and threw the ball uh, left-handed. So I I think Patrick Mahomes uh, is slightly a different type of quarterback, but I do believe that Baker Mayfield has convinced me that his mobility is adding value to the Browns. Uh, But – I think one of the main things on the Browns, and, and, and you're asking some great questions, 
is not only Baker Mayfield, I think it's their defense. See, we got a local we got a local Arlington boy on that defense called Miles Garrett. <laughs> and my and Miles Garrett right now, man, they're having to put two and three blockers on him to keep him out of the backfield. So I think the balance of the Cleveland Browns with having an Arlington, Texas <laughs> guy in there with Miles Garrett, but having uh, the versatility of Baker Mayfield and how he's handled the locker room and the team, uh, I think they've done very well. And I think Patrick Mahomes has handled his environment differently, but very well as well. I don't think, though, that Patrick is going to continue. Mahomes is going to continue to be allowed to move around as much. I think they're going to try to corral him and force him into straight back passing. So you think uh, defenses are going to learn to play against him? Yeah. You know, you know better. Well, it's interesting. You know, I just wonder if if Holmes was uh, or Holmes or Baker were in New England, would they both be better? I think, you know, Mahomes is doing real well with Kansas City's system. He sure so is. let's just concentrate on Baker. Would he be better okay. if, he had, uh, if he was in New England? You know, the difference in those teams is the head coach. And I think that the system, if, if Baker was in New England, then a system would be designed to maximize or capitalize on all of his talents. So you can see how much I support Bill Belichick, obviously. Right? Well, right, so let me ask you this then as a Bear fan. And we've talked about Trubisky before, you know, who's no longer with the Bears. Right. And even now Justin Fields. Now in Chicago, and they've talked about this, I know, in Chicago all the time. They're, they're talking about this locally. Trubisky, you know, is not on the Bears anymore. But the Bears never seemed to try to build their offense around Trubisky. It was felt that they tried to build Trubisky around the offense that they already had. And they tried to make him it seem like a drop back passer. And he was great when he rolled out. Now Fields, there's the same kind of talk with Justin Fields, but they seem a little bit more willing, the coaches I'm talking about now, to try to build an offense around what Justin Fields can do. So talk about something like that. Well, you know, that that's an interesting perspective because I think one of the biggest challenges that uh, that coaches have right now is aligning talent to salary. <laughs> and I in our day, that was really not a problem at all because <laughs> the, the type of money that was made in those days is nowhere near these guys. So there's there's almost another element of of personnel management now in the NFL to be able to get the type of team you you want and i think that uh all in all the the quarterback position has historically been you know a a a very a very important position on the team i mean you make the most money on and on and on but now you got quarterbacks that are running, that have a chance to get hurt, that have a chance, you know, it, it, it's the versatility of quarterbacks is different now. And therefore, I would imagine from the owner's perspective, it, it's, you know, it's a different impact on their pockets. You know, well, you know, now I'm going to ask you a, a question, too. You know, you know, you, you brought me into a different area. Talk about <laughs> the money. Right. We just finished a documentary on John Nyland. 
And John played for like 11 years. Nobody plays 11 years anymore in the NFL for, for, for the most part. Right. Because the money is so different. So you kind of are getting out much earlier before your body is completely destroyed. Right. And you were president of the uh, Players Association, the Dallas chapter, which represents 1,000 players. 1,000 so plus. Quite a mixture of the older and the younger guys. So my question is, do the younger guys understand how fortunate they are for what you guys went through to build the NFL to get to the point where they make more money in a game than players did in a year, you know, back then. Do they understand that the, the you know, we all are going to have worries and problems in life, but money won't be one of theirs like it might be for the rest of us. Do you feel that there's an understanding between the younger and older generation of what of what's actually going on through the years in the NFL? That's an absolutely fantastic question. Um, and it's a question that comes up even when we're, when we're evolving in leadership roles, you know, in the different cities, because whoever's in a leadership role has to take care of not only young guys, but older guys. So that, that's, a, that's a, a fantastic question. I think in the Dallas-Fort Worth environment, we have uh, a number of young players that are that understand the age differentials that we have that understand the large massive land area that we have the dfw metroplex you know that that's a 17 different cities and really it represents everything in north texas so you have such a large variety of people that just come back to texas anyway after they finish playing football but the fact that the younger leadership now is conscious of the older players, they're conscious of the guys that almost some are immobile, that can't move around. And one of the, I think one of the most important things about the union and our chapter and the alumni, not only just the PA, but the alumni as well, is that we're all trying to come together to help each other, young players and older players. So you, you hit on a very, very important topic um, as it relates to the aging of players and the financial difference. So, you know, you would imagine that guys in my era that had to go to business to try to make something out of their lives and, and possibly everybody couldn't. It's, it's positive that we have young leadership coming into the different players associations in the different cities, but that that young leadership realizes that their path was paved by some guys that they need to give some support to now. So I, I, I see that, especially in the DFW Metroplex, I see that as being one of our, our one, one of the more valuable assets that we have. We're helping each other. We're looking after the older players and their families. All right, sitting here at the Airbnb with the beautiful backdrop behind me, <laughs> it's making me think of all these, uh, what you say are great questions. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's flip the topic now about officiating. Now, this has been a lifelong battle for everything in every sport. And, you know, uh, I think back to one of the World Series years ago when strike three to end the World Series, 
was on a pitch that was about like a foot outside, you know, <laughs> you know, and then I always laugh, you know, there's a pitcher with two men on base and two outs and it's three and two on the hitter. And he throws a ball two or three inches outside and gets called strike three. So the pitcher is great, gets out of the jam when the reality was it could have been ball four, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so officials do have some control of what goes on in a game. Now, the other uh, day, a couple of weeks ago, the Bears played Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh beat them by two points. The Bears had 12 penalties called against them. And the announcers kept showing how there was really a non-call here. There was one penalty called on the Bears on a block where they said that the, uh, the offensive lineman was outside of his realm where he's allowed to block somebody and they they called it a penalty and the replay showed he didn't move out of his position so he wasn't outside of that realm and he missed the block anyway he didn't even block the guy and it was still called a penalty um and you know that happens a lot but then there was that one call that's been on every newscast uh cassius marsh i believe the guy's name is wait let me look at my note here yeah, I guess Cassius Marsh, we just came off the taxi squad for the Bears that day when they played Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And on uh, fourth down, Pittsburgh was going for it, uh, or excuse me, on third down, and he dropped Roethlisberger for a loss, which meant they would have had a punt that knocked him out of field goal range. The referee called him for a taunting, where he literally just kind of took a few steps towards the uh, Pittsburgh bench, still about 30 yards away from it, didn't say a word, turned and went to jog off and kind of the official backed up into him and it caused a stir, you know. They have replay. Why is it if you're allowed to overturn whether the guy caught the ball, we made it so impossible to catch a pass nowadays where you got to catch it and hold on to it and do a spin and bow to the crowd and wave to everybody before it's com- finally called completed. Why are we not allowed to have a review of an official call? Why, why are the referees like not part of the system? Why, why you know, baseball now we uh, have replay all the time. Right. I think there's I think there's a number limit for replays in NFL, and I think it's two, isn't it? Two per team. To uh, try to overturn a call or a non-call by the official. Right. Right. They're not always correct. Uh, right. You know, it's not always a penalty, or sometimes they miss the face mask penalty. Why? Why can't they throw a challenge flag on something like that? Why is it well, whether his knee was down before he fumbled? Why can't it be uh, there was a face mask and they didn't throw the flag? Well, I think that the, you know, we, we talked about this before, too. I think referees are under some really serious challenges right now, unlike before. And I think it's that way because of the speed of the game, the versatility of the athletes. Well, and, can't they take and, advantage of the replay, the referees? Can't they? Well, that's, that's where I was going. Uh, I think that from an NFL standpoint, unlike baseball or basketball, if if you're going to replay stuff every play, you might have to replay a number of different things. I'm not things. talking every play, Larry. I'm talking, it doesn't have to be from the refs on the field. 
How about the guy sitting up in the booth could just call down, they blow the whistle, and then they call the penalty. They say it was a penalty. The official on the ground doesn't have to run and go talk to them. They could just be told, you missed that. Just like every every touchdown is reviewed automatically now. How about, well, guys, there was a blatant foul. I'm not saying they're going to catch everything because on every play you could say some lineman was holding. Exactly. There are a lot of times that there are just blown calls that are obvious or a wrong call made. And because of the speed of the game, somebody who's watching it on the replay upstairs doesn't have to delay the game at all. They don't have to get together and huddle. They could just call down, and the ref says that, that the flag is being picked up. It wasn't, it wasn't a horse collar. You know, I'm just saying that when I see the Bears had 12 flags on them in a game, that's an awful lot, and they were showing that a lot were – not really foul or they go oh gosh i don't i don't know about that one so me i think you know you don't want the officials to control the outcome you want them to control the game that, but not the outcome the speed of the i don't believe that the evolution of the referees has aligned to the evolution of the players i think right now that the players are faster, quicker, and more agile, and I think the uh, referees are older. I don't think that we have referees now that can that can actually handle the speed of the game, and I think that might have some implications on, you know, what happens now if they have the opportunity of of returning something, you know, or stopping and reviewing a play. Man, that I think that would elongate the game because every play somebody's gonna hold or do something every play. Well, you know, I don't even know what happens. I know that they always send in the the film footage to the NFL to complain about an official or a call or something in a game, and then they get their oh, we're so sorry, you're correct letter. Too bad, so sad. See you next Sunday. And then we always see the same officials out there. So right. You know, either these officials, it should be made a full-time job for them or, you know, something needs to be done, I think, to kind of correct mistakes because there's big money involved in these football games. I'm not a proponent of gambling. I don't gamble myself. But <laughs> since there is a lot of gambling and it's, uh, and it's allowed to take place and it's legal, I need to be a gambler that has an official blow a call that costs me the point spread. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, there's a lot involved in these games. Well, I, I think the, again, I think from the official standpoint, number one, I think that they might could, should consider having more officials, maybe one or two more, because if you're on the right side of the line and you're looking at the left and you're on the left, uh, I mean, if a right side of the lineman and you got a left side official, he's not going to see certain things. So possibly they could increase the number of officials and possibly they could increase the, the or they could lower the age group and get some more younger, quicker, you know, fat, faster, more agile guys in there. But I think more, more might help because of the speed of the game. Well, I think not to be age discrimination, I would just say, uh, what are the spots where you do the least amount of running on the field? And that's where you could put the older guys too. Um, but I, I just think something needs to be done to help. And I think one of the things to be is just 
you could get a replay or two on a uh, an official call. You know, in baseball yeah. too. Not not to uh, baseball lets you do a million replays, but we all have the K box now where we see if it was a ball or strike. And I think yeah. they should be allowed to to uh, challenge one or two calls a game on balls or strikes because there's a big difference between strike three and ball four with the bases loaded. That's you right. Know, on, That's on right. A call. All right, let's move on because we're never going to solve that argument in in one day. <laughs> Does anything here surprise you? Buffalo six and three, New England six and four. Is that any either that surprise you for those two teams? Not really. Uh, Buffalo, uh, Buffalo might be one of the better teams in the league right now. Yeah, no, I know that's, but you know uh, they have a couple of losses though that they should have against teams they should have won. You know, yeah. Uh, Baltimore is sitting at six and three in their division. Pittsburgh is five, three, and one. Pittsburgh tied Detroit. That's Detroit's first non-loss this year, I guess. Cincinnati is five and four. We were all surprised at the beginning of the year when they were doing so well. Now they're not doing so well, and now we're surprised. You know, so I mean it's funny how the fortunes flip. And then Cleveland's sitting at five and five, and I guess that's kind of a surprise. Yeah, you know, with 17 games, there's a lot of time left for all this to change. I, that was my next statement. Honestly, you're right because, you know, we're just halfway through the season, uh, and again, I truly believe Scott that injuries is going to play an important role in who gets always, to the. Always. Yeah, and and always. yeah, you know, then the the last three teams, the first place teams, not really a surprise and. They should easily win their divisions. Nashville at eight and two, the Cowboys at 72. You're the closet Cowboy fan and Green Bay (laughs) too. Um, And I think, I think none of that is not to be expected. Uh, What what do you think about the Aaron Rodgers fiasco this week with his shot, non-shot immunization, whatever. What what, what do you think about that nonsense? You know, um, you know, in my business career, I've gone through COVID. I mean, I've gone through pandemics in South Africa and Nigeria. And so I'm not a supportive of, of people that do not support vaccines. Um, I, I really don't like how he dealt with that situation. And I, I really wonder, what I wonder is how the locker room is. That's what I wonder. Right. What's going on in that locker room uh, and how that's going to impact the team you know, you know, Larry, I don't think it's going to impact them at all. They, some of them who are really concerned about COVID and really want to get the vaccines and, you know, for the safety, not only for themselves, but they don't want to give it to their moms and dads or grandparents. I think they probably in the locker room, you know, bitched and Aaron a little bit, but then we got to win Sunday. You know, it's almost like I think they might have all given them a little grief and now we got to win and Aaron don't get anybody sick type thing. Uh, uh, because we are still dealing with an age group that feels invincible to almost anything. That's true. As we get older, we get a little bit more concerned about these things. But when you're 25 years old and like these guys built like a brick house, they're not afraid of anything. That's you know a good what I mean? Point. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I, I think so that might have some, some play on it. Well, and it's an exciting time in the NFL right now. And GBCTV.net, uh, we've got some exciting things coming up that we'll share with everybody uh, soon. And hopefully there's going to be some 
documentaries on a bunch of players and ex-players coming up. So uh, um, we'll keep everybody apprised of that. All right, man, I think we're going to fly. They're, they're telling me it's time for us to wave goodbye. So well, I'm, in the, you know, I'm in the Airbnb with this lovely background. Harry, <laughs> just to rub it in, put on a suit and tie to sit in the comfy, uh, the comfortness of his home. But, <laughs> but you look great, man. Well, thank you, thank you, and thank you from all the players in Dallas for your efforts to capture their the family stories. That's very important for a lot of players and for you to come up with a strategy and an idea for guys to be able to not only capture their, their personal histories, but capture their family histories. A lot of people are embracing that. So thank you and congratulations. Well, man, you too. And, and everybody, we got a lot of stuff we're hoping that's going to come up with for the HBCUs, the players individually, a lot of good things. And we'll, uh, we'll keep everybody apprised. And I will see you soon, and we'll get uh, doing one of these much quicker. All the best, brother. All right. <laughs> All right. See you soon. All right. Zeke, All right. you may cut us off now. You can leave that in. <laughs>